bullshit up. All that soft talking. I know you can do it, man. You got to, you got to. Let's shut that soft ass shit up. Now, you ain't with me. Right. I was trying, don't get me wrong. What, what, what about when this one, what about when this one man was around? Like I said, I was trying. They had promoters that didn't bring them to my side and wouldn't allow me to come to this side unless it was on his turn. Chris, would you have been interested? Before we get to that. They call me the problem, but you could call me the can man, because anybody can get me. Africans, Americans, Dominicans, Mexicans, anybody can. I got, I, lost, I got robbed of a gold medal in the Olympics, which really basically f***ed me off. So I had something to prove. When you got something to prove, it makes it, you're a different fighter. You know, when Triller did the Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones, I remember thinking at the time, this is a really good idea. Take two, take two legends, right? That's my definition. Take two legends. Both are in reasonable shape, right? reasonable shape and I use that advisedly because they're not who they were and we shouldn't expect them to be but they weren't bums off the street either and so put them in an exhibition where no one's going to take the piss and no one's going to try and decapitate the other and let's just see how it plays out right like a simulation we get to see these guys and we almost get to pay homage that's how we pay we pay our respects to these guys and say thank you for being real warriors which both men were Thank you for doing it the right way. And thank you for giving us memories that we relive over and over again. Whether it was on Triller, whether it was on The Zone, I didn't really care. But fair play to Triller for being smart and seeing that opportunity. And the numbers demonstrated that, right? I think I did a million pay-per-view buys. The number that wasn't challenged by Hearn, a number that wasn't challenged by Dana White, who are normally the two haters you see sniffing around. Now... Nice guy Derek probably said it was 50 million buys, and he's probably correct, but, you know, that's for another time. But it meant that Mike Tyson's side of the deal copped him 25 mil. How much of that he saw? No idea. But it copped him 25 mil. And that's, that's a thank you from the fans for being a legend. Now, somewhere along the line, Triller didn't really understand what made that event special. And they thought it was them. They thought people genuinely wanted to tune into Triller to watch them put washed up has-beens against each other. And on the other side of the fence, all these boxers saw Mike Tyson making that money and said, well, I can make that money too. And not one of them, and this is, when, this is what I tell people, don't waste your time being around boxers. They're a waste of time. Boxers, trainers, managers, they're, they're the most delusional people you'll ever meet. So all these boxers were sat at home going, I can make that money too. The fans should pay for me. This was the attitude that was being said. The fans should pay for me because I put my years into the sport. Remember, none of these guys are legends. So then Triller go again and they say, okay, we'll get another legend. Oscar De La Hoya is a boxing legend. We'll get another legend to headline our show. Against Vito Belfort, an MMA legend. Okay, I'm kind of there at this point because you've got someone who's savvy enough in the ring and Oscar, Oscar doesn't sound worrying. Now, he's been caught in compromising positions before, but he can put his words together when he's lucid and sober. And he still runs Golden Boy. So you're like, okay, I can entertain this because 
the the weight advantage Belfort would have had would have been offset by the fact that Oscar hits harder and probably still quicker. Fine, comfortable. That age gap between them has got to be two or three years. Fine. Both legends. So when that's announced, you're like, okay, I'll give this a go. This isn't Mike Tyson and Roy Jones, but it's, it's, it's that next level down. That's okay, right? I'm 100% on board at this point. I'm like, mm, yeah, I'll watch that. Now, here's where it starts to get a bit rickety. Now I'm starting to hear on the undercard, I've got Anderson Silva versus Tito Ortiz. And I'm like, uh, this doesn't feel like boxing to me. And while this feels like legends, it doesn't quite sit right with me. Now I'm feeling uncomfortable with this card. And then when I heard David Hay was going to fight Joe Fournier, I was like, okay, this isn't serious. Right? It's not serious, right? It, it, it's an absolute joke. Now, you look at those three fights and it's all on Oscar. Oscar is selling this. Then, then Vito, then the rest are just kind of there. Right? But you're like, okay. Let's, let's see. This, what's the average age of that cohort there? About 43, we'll say. They're old men. Their bodies are knackered. Some of them have kind of done everything from drink to drugs and everything. Right? But it's Oscar. Really, this is on Oscar. If Oscar leaves this show, the show's finished. So what happens? Oscar gets COVID. Double vaccinated and all of that, he gets COVID. It's unfortunate. But at this point, you've got to cancel the card. Right? That, that's your, that's your face-saving measure to say, look, Oscar's not here until we can get another legend who's capable of anchoring a legend's show, we're not going to do anything. You couldn't get Mike Tyson in just because I think Mike would have ripped Vitor's head off. I mean, Mike's still got something, even if it's not what it used to be. There's still something there. So you're like, okay, cancel it, fine. So then they did the worst thing you can do, and they said, we're going to dig up Evander Holyfield. And that's when you realize that wasn't someone with a boxing background making that call. Of all the names you have to say, listen, do you want to make a quick five million? Evander was the first name on the list. No one thought to say, can we just get Roy? Yeah, let's get Roy back. Or can we get James Tony to walk these guys around? They thought, let's get Evander Holyfield. Not much shy of his 59th birthday. And a man who was washed up against James Tony, that's got to be 18 years ago, right? He was, he was done then. He, like, there was nothing left in him then. And he carried on after that. No one saved him from himself. Because had he tapped out after that Tony defeat, he might have been a contender now. Well, not in the professional sense, but in that thriller sense, he could have given a passable version of himself. So here we go. You get a Vander in at 59, and everyone with, with two pennies worth of boxing knowledge knows this is bad. And at no point do Ryan Kavanagh and his team go, this is bad. They push on with it. So we all watch the show. Hey, Fournier, garbage. Anderson Silva versus Tito Ortiz went exactly how it was going to go. The first meaningful punch on Tito Ortiz and he was out. 
And there's a reminder for all of you guys. Like if you're if you're there being intimidated by the old guy in the pub who had a reputation from 1993, just put one on his chin. Because your punch resistance goes with age. I promise you, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. And so you've got a 59-year-old man. I don't care what you inject him with. I don't care what you could have put formaldehyde in that guy. He still looked 59. And in the build-up, you're seeing him warming up and hitting stuff. And you're like, oh my God, this is bad. And we all know Vito Belfort's back to TRT, Vito. So he's going to be on his, you know, carefully curated blend of nuts, berries and juices. Do you know what I mean? So you're looking at a car crash in that fight. So you've got three fights, right? The John O'Carroll one I don't really refer to just because I don't understand why, why we still have to care, if I'm being honest with you, because I really don't. Uh, you know, he's got to feed his family and stuff, fine, but he could do that scaffolding as far as I'm concerned. So the Hay Fournier fight is a joke. It's an absolute joke and a disgrace to the sport. Anderson Silva versus Tito Ortiz is a car crash, and Vito Belfort versus Evander Holyfield is a car crash. Now, as fans, we were livid because, I mean, we were cheated. The only thing that softened the pain was the chance of hearing a boxing event turned into a political rally by Donald Trump. I mean, he's the only winner in all of this because he showed that he knows something about boxing. Like, he's got hardcore knowledge. So fair play to him. And he was the guy who was carrying the commentary. If, if you weren't on the 50 Cent Sean Porter feed, then you were lucky because you got the Donald Trump feed. And he knew his stuff. And even he was just watching the fight going, nah, this is all a bit of a joke, really. But I'm here. You're paying me. I get to, you know, I get to speak to my base. Fantastic. But the problem wasn't the, the boxing people. It wasn't the podcasters and it wasn't the, the IFL crew. It wasn't anyone. It wasn't the behind the gloves crew. And they embarrassed themselves by being there and all this sort of stuff. It was, a, it was an embarrassment for the sport. Now, luckily... People in America saw this for what it was, and it was an embarrassment to the sport of boxing. So the Association of Boxing Commissions, I think it was, yeah, the Association of Athletic Commissions or Boxing Commissions in America rang Florida up and said, guys, what the hell is this? They rang him up and said, what the hell is this? Quite rightly, how has Tito Ortiz passed a medical? How has Evander Holyfield passed a medical? And why have we got a British guy on one leg fighting a guy that no one has ever seen before? And we're talking about this being a boxing show. Nowhere else would that thing have been sanctioned. Wasn't it sanctioned on like sacred ground or something where you know, it's something crazy where they don't have to pay taxes or something ridiculous like that. And you look and you go... Someone needs to clean this up. So I think what they're suggesting now is there'll be new rules for boxers over 40 to get certified and approved to box. It really took this for common sense to prevail. Did it really take a renegade broadcaster like Triller to give you a basically a huge steaming pile of rubbish? and Just this crap, essentially, wasn't it? It took that for people to say, we need to fix this. But then who do you blame for this? Oh, man, so what have we seen in the aftermath of this? We've seen Triller now start moonwalking back from their original proposition.
So there's an acceptance. I think the, the guy that's running everything is a guy called something Maya. Can't remember. But he was part of Team Golovkin for a bit, if I remember correctly. And he's worked with the Saulins. And so he knows boxing. But what they realize now is this is damaging the brand. So they can't do this again. So all those guys that thought they were going to get a Triller payday, they won't get one because guys like David Hay took the piss. Evander Holyfield took the piss. Tito Ortiz took the piss. And someone has to pay for that. And it's going to be all the people who probably could have been passable at that. You know, could Clinton Woods have done it? Probably. Give him the right opponent? Yeah. Could Carl Frosch have done it? Absolutely. Him and Kessler could have done a Triller fight. Do you see what I mean? There, there, were, there were opportunities there for people who had kept themselves in good nick. But the clowns ruined it, as always. It's always the clowns that ruin it. And so now the, the view of Triller is we can't be doing these exhibition fights anymore. We've got to now become more focused on professional boxing. We can't have these, these exhibition type fights because you have to ask yourself, was, was the fact that Tyson did a million pay-per-views down to Triller? Was it down to Mike and Roy? Was it down to just people being bored and going, in a pandemic, this is probably the best entertainment we're going to get? And then the elephant in the room. Did we go back to Roy and Mike because there's nothing in boxing now that gets us excited? You know, zone seem to have played their hand and this is what we're going to get. Mikey Garcia versus God knows who. Dillian White versus Otto Wallen, which we'll talk about later. And what's the last one? Chisora Parker 2. Chisora Parker 2 could be on Triller. It's, that, it's a Triller standard fight. It's not, it's not an amazing fight. And it's clearly not pay-per-view. So how much money are these guys actually going to get? But that's the problem. The problem you have is the product is so watered down. It's stepped on weed. It's stepped on, defecated on weed. That they want you to smoke. And you're like, nah, nah, nah I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and find that old stash I had from three years ago because it's still more potent than the rubbish you're giving me. And that's how boxing fans are at the moment. If you said Carl Froch v. Joe Calzaghe was going to be an ITV box office, people would watch that before they'd watch Chisora Parker too. That's how, that's, that's how sad, that's how pathetic our sports is right now. And that's what it is. It's pathetic. You know, I know people have their hobby horses and this, that, and the third. But all Triller's done is accelerated the demise because it said, look, we opened up the lane with the YouTubers. That was a new way for us to make money as broadcasters. Yeah. Fans got annoyed with that. That's now starting to decline in relevance and meaning. You know, Floyd took his money out of that. Then it was kind of done. And then they said, we're going to get the old guys, the legends out. And they did that until they went the wrong way. <laughs> And they didn't vet their legends and they just started getting anyone they thought had a social media following. And they ruined that too. But we can't even go back to the base. We can't even go back to good old professional boxing because that's ruined too. Fragmented egos get in the way, fights aren't getting made. And it comes down to this whole thing about it's not just a boxing thing, it's a societal thing, it's a cultural thing. Everyone thinks they've got the right answer. And everyone thinks they can get it right first time. No one's trying to work at being better. 
no one's no one cares about quality anymore. It's just yeah, make them pay the pay per view. In a week's time, no one's going to be talking or tweeting about this. What they don't realize is when you come for the next pay per view, we're going to remember the rubbish you gave us last time. That's what's going to kill the sport slowly. Just every with every event, one percent of the fans step back, and they say, "I've had enough." And that keeps going, that keeps going until you end up doing leisure centers again, casinos, um, ballrooms and hotels, dinner shows and all that sort of rubbish that people used to have to do to scrape a few pennies together in boxing. But the rot doesn't just come from people like Triller. Do you know what it comes from? It comes from some of the clowns in the sport. The number of people I've met in boxing that have reputations and when you get up close to them or you get the, the real intel on them, it turns out that they're charlatans, they're clowns, they're jokers. You know, they, they, there's no substance behind it. And I want to come back to Saturday, not necessarily Triller, but in deepest, darkest Spain. There was a young British lady, Amy Timlin. Now, Amy is whatever. I don't know anything about Amy, so I don't want to, I don't want to judge her and I don't want to define her. What I know for certain is she's a young woman that's enthusiastic about boxing, which is a big tick for me. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for that. That puts a smile on my face. Okay. She's enthusiastic. But you watch her work and you realize she's green. And she knows that herself. Boxing is not something you master quickly. Right? I don't care how good you look on, on Instagram. I don't care how good you look on the pads. I don't care what videos you put of, of yourself on there. Learning to box is like... It's like trying to be Michelangelo with a bucket full of Crayola crayons. Like, there's levels. You can't just show up and do it. So she fights, I can't even remember who the Spanish lady was. You know, Spanish lady's got home advantage. They're fighting for, I think it was a European title. And we're watching this thing on Instagram. Number one, the thing, the thing that raised an alarm is she's asking for a sponsor to buy her new kit. And I'm like, um, I don't think you've achieved anything in your career that you need to be changing your kit every fight. Have some respect for yourself and the sport and just wear the same stuff until you're a world champion. Until you're commercially viable enough that the new outfit means something. Right now you're doing something because other people do it. I think all prospects who, who buy new kit and do this and do that are idiots. They're stupid. Because that's not investing in your brand. That's not investing in you. A pair of shorts doesn't bring you money back. Do you see what I mean? Good quality video content might, yeah. A pair of shorts won't. So why, why were you doing that? And then I saw some of the training when they were out in Spain. Another red flag to me. You've got a training camp in Spain. Who's paying for this? It can't be coming out of your purse. Well, I hope it's not coming out of your purse because you're a 21-year-old who needs to start saving. I don't know who her trainer was. I think it's Kieran Farrell. The guy can't do pads. It looked like Stevie Wonder was on the pads. Well, I'll rephrase it. It looked like... It looked like Evander Holyfield was doing the pads for her. It was slow, it was uncoordinated, there was no correction, there was no emphasis on footwork. It was just, it was terrible. It was, it was everything that was wrong with boxing before and it's everything that's wrong with boxing now. So this Kieran Farrell guy is terrible. On the, he's terrible. And then I'm seeing the pictures and there's like five or six people in the entourage. I'm like... This is, this is a young woman who's probably being paid five or six grand to fight in Spain. The hell do you need five? You don't, 
What do you need all that for? She could have shown up and said, if you guys got a house second, then someone do my corner for me. So the sum total of it is she gets absolutely humped from pillar to post, round after round, and I had to pull her out. And I knew this would happen when the fight was announced. Number one, you've got a bunch of jokers in your camp. And I've said this to other female boxers. Stop falling in love with reputations, right? Look at what these guys have delivered. They've delivered nothing. Yeah? You're going to be as good as the other fighters they've trained. That's why I'm surprised Amy Timlin is not with Joe Gallagher. Like, why are you with Dave Caldwell? Like, Dave Caldwell still got porky-related questions to answer. Like, why were you treating young kids like, like crap, basically? Why were you needlessly aggressive and projecting your small man syndrome onto young kids trying to intimidate them you know why were you sleeping with you know i mean someone's wife who helped you out when you were when you were on your knees dave calder has a lot to answer for but boxing won't ask these questions because fans don't care they just love to hate really the hobby of most boxing fans is to hate boxing it's not to hold people accountable for who they are and what they do so poor old amy timlin now wrecked and ruined and she's having to do the Instagram posts about how you, the comeback is about oh, shut up man you're 21 years old man but you should have learned from history once you lose a fight like that they ain't even going to try and rebuild you you're going to be fed to someone and that's the shame because someone used Amy Timlin to keep Eddie Hearn happy I don't know if it's Dave I don't know if it's Kieran Farrell I don't know if it was the, the other numpties that were in the images I don't know but someone has used Amy Timlin to keep Eddie Hearn happy. And in, in doing so, they've ruined her career. Now, Kieran Farrell tried to come back and say she already won a Commonwealth title. And I went, Jesus Christ, are we really doing this? So here's an, just a quick fact so people understand. If you think about women's boxing in this country, it's really only been popping for about five years, right? Since Eddie made a big effort with Katie Taylor. Before that, women's professional boxing was... It was like Maltese Boxing Commission type stuff, man. Like Keystone Cops, all of that sort of negativity. Those Spanish women have been boxing for a while. Women in Europe have been boxing for a long time. There's a, there's a deeper entrenched culture there. I know people say, well, look at all the medals we win in international tournaments. Yeah, but living as a pro is completely different. Hand to mouth. Psychologically, people can't cope with that. So, and just to sum it up, you have to remember that when Adam Smith and those guys tell you so-and-so is a stalwart of the British game and he's respected, these guys are all jokers. They're all jokers and they're not that good. I could pick anyone at random listening to this now. In a couple of years, you'd be as good as those guys. Boxing's not that hard, man. It's not that hard. Let me break boxing down to you so you understand how quickly you guys can all go and be trainers. If you can make your fighters set the pace in a fight and it's a pace that your opponent can't cope with, you'll break him down within four or five rounds. It's that simple. You throw more punches than your opponent, you'll probably win the fight. It's that simple. You hold the middle of the ring for most of that fight against your opponent and do the first two things I mentioned. It's very hard to beat. Boxing's that simple. That's why I have a newfound respect for Joe Gallagher because Joe realized that. Joe realized he wasn't getting the creme de la creme from the amateurs. He wasn't getting the Joshuas and he wasn't getting the, the Josh Taylors. He was getting kids who had done all right in the amateurs. 
And Joe was like, I haven't got time to turn them into Sugar Ray Leonard. What's, what's going to win them more fights than it loses them? And Joe just gave them that crack. And they smoked it. And he got world champions. And that's why he won trainer of the year. And I was down on Joe because I didn't understand this before. But when you're dealing with stupid people, you've got to give them the basics and nothing more. Don't, don't even try and grow brains inside of their skulls. And that's what Joe realized. So all those guys who left Joe to go elsewhere expecting that they'll get better, hmm, they're going to get a rude awakening. So we all have to salute Joe. Now I heard he's got Charlie Edwards, so I have to go down and show love at the gym. You know, go see how Charlie's getting on. But no, no, salute to guys like Joe Gallagher and Tony Sims. Because I thought what they did was backward. And then I just realized they're not given the best raw materials. And so what they've done is actually made silk purses out of Sal's ears. And I salute those two guys because they taught me one thing above all else. If your boxers work harder than anyone else in the country, they'll beat everyone else in the country. That's how simple boxing is. So when they tell you these people are gods and magicians and sorcerers and whatnot, they're not. They're clowns, okay? They're clowns. I mean, their wives are paying the rent normally. I mean... <laughs> They're driving a 300-pound car, and that's what they get to training with. They're still using the pads from six years ago because the thing ain't paying them because they can't deliver champions. They're not that good. But they're so addicted to this thing they call boxing because it's defined them for most of their lives so that they just hang around like bad smells, telling really dead stories about stuff no one cares about, you know, keeping really mundane things hush-hush. Oh, we can't talk about that can't talk about what happened in sparring and that no 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 and they create this fake air of mystery like keeping the fans out but really it's just a bad bunch of sad people not making much money just talking about the good old days wishing they could make money that's what boxing is in essence so you fans that want to get close to boxers for some reason but save yourself the hassle man you're only going to be disappointed because there's nothing there nothing between the ears nothing inside the chest there's just nothing there and poor Amy Timlin found that out the hard way. How do you change it? You, the fans, need to start calling out the fakers. You need to start asking why managers are asking to get paid off endorsement deals before the boxer does. Why the manager's asking for his money for a bout to be paid up front and separate from the boxer. Why are they engaging in these shenanigans and keeping the boxer in the dark about it? You don't ask those questions, do you? But you should. That's how I feel. I feel sorry for poor Amy Timlin. Because she should have had a bright future in the sport. She's got all the right attitude, all the right energy. She's got everything. She's just being led by lambs. Man. She's just being led by lambs. And it's sad to see. Do you know, I'm aware that everyone's going to be either heading into their weekend or, or in their weekend. And you don't necessarily want a podcast that's just going to be down on boxing. So, you know, I don't want to ignore the stuff that Brings a smile to my face and hopefully brings a smile to your faces as well. And one of those things is just Dillian White versus Otto Arlen. So I was asked a question by young lady Georgia, who is, you know, the Midlands' finest sports and exercise nutritionist. Go check out G GDH Nutrition. Fuck, I remember that. Now, she asked me this a while ago. and She said, who do you see Dillian fighting next? And I just said, I'll dig up someone like Otto Arlen. Because there's no one else available. So if you really look at who Dillian should fight, Luis Ortiz, Anthony Joshua, 
Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. They're the names really that Dillian needs to test himself against, but they all seem tied up or not interested in Dillian. So what does that leave him? So here are the criteria for me for a Dillian fight. Has to be someone with a degree of talent. Otto Island ticks that box. A bit of size to him. Otto is 6'6", in about 17 and a half, maybe 18 stone. Ticks that box. Has to bring the fight. So he's not, Otto is not going to be a guy who, who takes a step back. And I remember him from when I lived in Sweden. He's not a guy to, to just kind of run around the perimeter of the ring. He'll come for you. And he's big and he's strong. And as a southpaw, it gives Dillian um, an added dimension in terms of things he's going to have to overcome. Because there aren't that many tall southpaws around who are technically sound like that. So he's going to have to, you know, get the right kind of sparring in there. But I don't think it's impossible for him. I actually think it's a good fight for him. It'll be a good test because Wallen's tough. And then from a marketing perspective, you just sell it as, imagine if Dillian stopped Otto Wallen. What would that say about Tyson Fury? There are all of these things you can start to throw into the mix. So I think that's a good fight. And I'm hoping they put Yusuf Kamari on the undercard because they seem to be developing, developing him pretty well. He's come on leaps and bounds in the last year and a half, man. He's a fantastic young man, you know, just dedicated, focused on his sport. Never see him out of shape, which I always like to see in young boxers, just never out of shape. So I'm really looking forward to that fight. It's at the O2. It's one of those where I debate whether I just get a hotel room for the two nights and just, just take in the full fight atmosphere. I probably wouldn't even go. That's the whole irony. I'd just be there watching it from like an IPT. No, can't say that. But you know what I mean. And then Chisora Parker for the 18th of December, Christmas party season. I'm not averse to that either. That's one I might go to. That's one I think both guys know each other now and they know what they have to do. You know what Derek's going to bring and you know what Parker's going to bring. I don't want Parker to try and be that pot shot in running around the perimeter of the ring again because that's not doing his brand any good. But I think they're decent fights. They're the two fights that DeZone have delivered where I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, this is, this is where Eddie's playing. I don't think it's necessarily game changed. And I don't think it's necessarily game over. All we can say is the game don't wait. <laughs> but no... It, I feel for Eddie because I'm like, he can't even play his best hand. He leaves Sky and it's, it's, it's all much of a muchness. These are all fights he would have done on Sky anyway. So when he talks about we're doing something different, no, he's not doing anything different. I wish he were. Just the fan of me wants him to do something different. The realist in me knows he can't. He's done too much damage to too many people. And now what you're seeing is people start to kind of moonwalk away so now i'm seeing josh kelly and harlem eubank on wasserman and that seems to be the booth george groves link up cementing itself again and when you start to see this you you realize what people have clocked on pretty quickly is you want your guys on sky commercially you know because you know adam eats off his fighters on a 360 basis so you want you want your fighters to be where they're most visible and I'm hearing that the zone numbers are like 10,000 per fight. That's what I'm hearing. 10K per fight. Not a great look. You know, commercially, that's not good for you. You may as well, like, like Adrian Broner said, you may as well be fighting on Vine, to be honest with you. 
I mean, you may as well just be posting. I mean, on MySpace even. So I don't know what Eddie does. Because it seems the model at the moment, and people feel free to correct me on this, the British guys have to generate money on the event. So Dinian's show will have to break even just as a live event. Never mind any zone money. Whereas I don't think the Americans get that same pressure. Mikey Garcia is not going to sell out an arena. I don't care what anyone says. So that's coming out of the zone pot. I don't think there's a strategy there. If, if I ran zone, I'd split it. And I'd give De La Hoya the United States and I'd give her and everywhere else. That's how DAZN gets big fighters on his platform. Oscar will do that for you. Oscar will deliver that for you. And then Eddie does everything else. Because I think Eddie's brand is stronger everywhere else. Like, I'd like to see him go to Australia because there are a few people in Australia who would be interested. You know, like a good friend of mine, Kay Scott, she'd be interested for a few years because there aren't many women that can box at middle, super mid and be credible at that size. And she's one of them. Now, she's quarantined at the moment, so she's kind of doing that outdoor training thing. But expect her to make her debut before the end of the year. And, you know, you'll see that she wouldn't look out of place in a ring with someone like Savannah Marshall. Definitely not from a size perspective. So there's a lot to look forward to in terms of what's happening. Hearn signed Callum French, who I think is good. I think he's another product of the Berkeley system, which produces guys, but it never really produces world champions. It produces guys who will give you the entertainment. Josh Kelly, is he from Berkeley as well? He might be. I have to double check that. But no, so that I'm not going to be down on zone at the moment. I just think they're under pressure now. The, the fragmented marketplace has made it a nightmare to deal with, with anyone. I also have to salute Isaac Chamberlain as always. He, he did the business. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say on it is he did the business. He did what he was supposed to do. And that's all we can ask for. I want to touch on the Frank show real quick because I want to salute, I want to salute Louis Lynn. Now, does he box how I remember him boxing for the Lynn and for Nemesis? No. But Louis Lynn is proof of what happens when you just have pace. You have pace and intensity of your opponent. Um, the lad he fought, uh, Johannesib, whatever his name was, the Bradford lad, had nothing. And, and this is a lesson for people in the sport. If you don't have George Foreman-like power, if you don't have Manny Pacquiao-type power at the smaller weight classes, being a one-two-shot counter-puncher, you're not going to win anything. People think they're being really clever by doing that, but you're not. You're actually just setting yourself up for defeat. That's why guys like Louis, Louis just said, you know what, I'm going to make this hell on earth for you today. You're not going to be able to do what you like to do, and now you're going to have to fight my fight. And that's what you saw. And Louis put it all on the line. You've got, you got to salute him for that. He put it all on the line as a headline act. He delivered. That's what we want to see in our boxes. They just maximize what it is you've got. And no one will ever question you. So I don't know if anyone caught the Billy Joe interview with, with Uma for IFL. I thought it was a good interview. I know there'll be channels that rip it apart and you know, they'll forensically go through how many times he raised his eyebrow and stuff. And that's all valid stuff to discuss. But I, I like to keep stuff high level sometimes because I think you can, get to, you can get to where you need to get to just by doing that. And what I liked about Bill is he kept it... He kept it sensible. Now, 
I think he was probably given pointers and primers and stuff to say. But he still had to execute it without reverting back to, to ignorant Billy. But what I saw in that interview is a guy who, who probably realizes he doesn't love the pro side of the game as much as he should if he wants to be truly elite. And a guy who's at peace with that now. And more importantly, a guy who sees the end and says, actually, I know, I know my route out of the sport. And I don't think I'll be coming back. And if that's true for Bill, then credit, because he's, he's been a good servant to the sport. We'd, we'd have liked more from him. And you can pick holes in his record, absolutely. But for being a lightning conductor, for interest in eyes on the sport, he's, he's done his bit. Some good, some bad, but he's done his bit. And then I like the fact that he just saluted Canelo and said, the better man won on the night. There's nothing more you could say on that. This is the truth, right? Um, the injury thing, we'll always just put down to, nah, who knows what really happened. But it was interesting to, to triangulate what happened in that corner. So based on what Billy said and what Marcus said and what Ben Davison has said, here's my theory. They saw Billy get hit. And they saw how he reacted. And someone in the corner is going to think he's broken his eye socket, think he's broken his cheekbone. And at that point, you start to panic, right? Because you now know that it's a question of when, not if. And so when that panic transmits through the corner, you need a calm head to go, this is what we're going to do. And I don't think they got to that point. I imagine there was an argument between all the people in that corner. You know, chaos is what you don't want in a corner coming up to the end of a round. So when the bell goes, Ben starts talking when he shouldn't, especially if they haven't agreed on what the approach is going to be. So Ben starts talking, and Mark lets him talk, which is a fatal mistake when you're the head trainer. Mark should have had everyone quiet, and he should have said, Bill, what's happened? And if Bill says you can't see out the eye, you say, do you want to do another round? And if Billy says no, the fight's off. If Billy says yes, you go, right, you're going out for another round, but I'm going to have the towel in my hand. You're not taking unnecessary punishment. That's how the corner should have gone. It just looks like it was utter chaos. The ref has seen the chaos and has said it's not safe for him to come back out in the situation. And gone, right, just kill the fight. So do I think Billy quit? No, I'm, I'm more on that he didn't quit, but... I admit there was chaos in that corner to the point where you wouldn't work with any of them again because there was no leadership. And what you need as a fighter is you need leadership. 100% you need leadership. And maybe it was just a lack of experience in the corner. I don't know. But that was, that was what I kind of take from all the different bits we've heard. And when you piece them together, just chaos, lack of leadership, lack of direction. And into that chaos came a guy needing guidance in that minute between the rounds. The guidance wasn't there. was sensible to call the fight off. Uh, so Tyson's also been active, hasn't he? Or Tyson Fury in the build-up to the Wilder fight. And he had to sit down with Dev. I've, I've heard bits of it, but the key thing I take from it is finally we're talking honestly now that him and Fury had, him and Joshua had their, the heated phone exchange that I've been talking about for years that people said I was making up. But that was, I never get bored of that story because it's quite funny. And I think it was, how was it recounted to me? So Joshua phones up Tyson Fury. Don't ask me how people get each other's numbers, but whatever. He phones up Tyson Fury. 
And Fury's like, who is this? And Joshua's like, it's the weightlifter. You know, trying to be funny. And Fury's like, you're trying to be funny? He's like, no, no, it's Femi. He's like, who's Femi? He's like, it's Joshua. And then they start going at it. There's some abuse that's dished out. And I think Joshua said something like, you need to be careful how you talk to me. I know some serious people. And the switch in Fury goes off at this point. And he goes, what do you mean you know serious people? He's like, and then he just called me and said, you're a big guy from, you're a big guy from Watford that sold a bit of weed and beat up a little kid. That makes, that makes you serious? And so Fury's going at him. And then it gets to a point where Fury's like, tell me where you are now. I will drive down to London and we can do this now. Tell me where you are. If you're really about it, tell me where you are now. And Joshua's like, you don't want to mess with my people. And I think Fury said, you will have every gypsy in the United Kingdom at your front door if you're not careful. And at that point there, Joshua starts to walk it back. But Fury was serious about that. He's like, I'm coming to London. And then I think God, the phone goes dead and then people get involved. So there were some peacemakers in between. Yes, mutual friends were like, no, 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 no. He was just trying to have a laugh with you and stuff. But I think that was the point where, and I think in history it will show, Fury would come back and go, that's when I knew Joshua had no heart. That's when I knew I'd beat him. But it's one of my favorite stories just for the fact that, <laughs> that, and since then those guys have regularly phoned and messaged each other, just not necessarily abusing, but that just trash talking each other. And is it healthy for boxing? It is when it doesn't cross that line. Like boxing stuff should be boxing stuff. Street stuff should be street stuff. When you start combining the two, it's bad for business and it makes you look stupid because you're millionaires. Like, you know, you've got to behave like it. But in terms of it, I just always come back to this thing with Tyson Fury. As engaging as he is during these interviews, I always wonder if he really wants to fight. I always wonder if he really wants to go through the rigors and the disciplines of being a professional boxer. The same with Billy Joe. We see it all the time, don't we? We saw it with Frankie Gavin. We've seen it with, with people for, you know, and I don't know what it is within the traveler community because they can fight and they love the idea of fighting, like the Irish. But if you look at the Irish, for example, there's very few Irish boxers you'd class as tough, like Steve Collins, Wayne McCulloch come to, come to mind. But outside of that, for the number of people they put through the funnel, they don't have a lot of tough guys who go on to be world champions, which is a surprise, actually. And it leaves you asking questions, what's, what's going wrong in the Irish system? I don't have the answer to that. But for the amount they talk about fighting and honor and the number of people they put through their boxing funnel, they massively underachieve. Massively. But no, October 9th, we will find out who the best heavyweight in the world is. I, I'd love to see Wilder just plan for a five-round fight and say, I'm just going to keep hitting this guy around the head. He's not going to be able to avoid all of these punches. If he's able to do that, I don't know what Fury does because no one's as quick as Wilder. No one's as explosive as Wilder. And no one's as good at shutting down the distance as Wilder. But he didn't do any of that in the fight. And I hope this time we get a Wilder who comes out to attack because if he doesn't, he'll get stopped again. But let's look, let's look out for that one. And, you know, that might be... Because, look, we've got Fury versus Usyk. Not Fury. You've got Joshua versus Usyk, sorry. And then you've got Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. 
three weeks later, you got Dillian White, and then that's it, really. No, no, no. I take that back. No, it's not because Sean Porter has been announced, hasn't it? Sean Porter versus Terence Crawford. And here's what I'll say about that fight, and I say this from the most sincere place I can. I am so glad those guys get to split $10 million between them. I really, really am because there are two guys who have done it the right way. No backward steps. Wanted every fight, wanted every opponent, anytime, any place. Two hard, hard men. Two spiteful men in that ring. If there's a fight to bring boxing back to what we want it to be, it might just be that fight there. Because my worry is we may never get the same Errol Spence again. And if we don't get the same Errol Spence again, is this the high point? Is this the best we can expect? Until Jerome Ennis steps up, until Virgil Ortiz steps up, until Josh Taylor steps up. Is this the top of the tree fight? I hope Spence has got something to say about that. But I remain cynical because I think once you sustain an eye injury, you know, it's problematic. Look at Frank Bruno, like... One of the ABAs had a detached retina, had to go to Colombia to do some mad procedure that wasn't allowed here or the United States. And no one ever asks, like, how the hell did Frank Bruno get to Colombia during the cartel wars and leave unscathed but well looked after, incredibly well looked after? Who knew the right people in his team? And more importantly, who was eating off the benefits of that? I... I, I may know some of the answers. I'm not going to say them on here because some of those people are still alive and I quite like walking. But on that note, I'll sign off and say have a great weekend, guys. And remember, if you enjoy this, if it entertains you, if it informs you, tell other people about it. Let's, let's spread the reach of the real boxing content. You know, let's, let's make this bigger than the, than the bubblegum stuff. Because that bubblegum stuff's what got us in this position in the first place. Take care and have a great weekend. Yeah. I guarantee I'm gonna crush you. Grab that. Okay, let me ask you a question. Grab that.